The Poetry of Nature by Charles George Douglas Roberts From The World's Best Poetry, Volume 5, Nature, Part 1 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lian Yao Jason in Panama Sonia Thomas Peter and craig franklin when keats wrote the poetry of earth is never dead he enunciated a truth which the world of his own day was hardly ready to accept in its fullness to-day none would seriously question it regarded subjectively the poetry of earth or in other words the quality which makes for poetry an external nature is that power in nature which moves us by suggestion which excites in us emotion imagination or poignant association which plays upon the tense strings of our sympathies with the fingers of memory or desire this power may reside not less in a bleak pasture lot than in a paradisal close of bloom and verdure not less in the roadside thistle patch than in a peak that soars into the sunset it works through sheer beauty or sheer sublimity but it may work with equal effect through austerity or reticence or limitation or change it may use the most common scenes the most familiar facts and forms as the vehicle of its most penetrating and most illuminating message it is apt to make the drop of dew on a grass glade as significant as the starred concave of the sky the poetry of nature by which i mean this poetry of earth expressed in words may be roughly divided into two main classes that which deals with mere description and that which treats of nature in some one of its many relations with humanity the latter class is that which alone was contemplated in keats's line it has many subdivisions it includes much of the greatest poetry that the world has known and there is little verse of acknowledged mastery that does not depend upon it for some portion of its appeal the former class has but a slender claim to recognition as poetry under any definition of poetry that does not make metrical form the prime essential the failures of the wisest to enunciate a satisfactory definition of poetry make it almost presumptuous for a critic now to attempt the task but from an analysis of these failures one may adduce something roughly to serve the purpose to say that poetry is the metrical expression in words of thought fused in emotion is of course incomplete but it has the advantage of defining no one can think that anything other than poetry is intended by such a definition and nothing is excluded that can show a clear claim to admittance but the poetry of mere enumerative description might perhaps not pass without a challenge so faint is the flame of its emotion so imperfect the fusion of its thought it is verse of this sort that is meant by undiscriminating critics when they inveigh against nature poetry and declare that the only poetry worth man's attention is that which has to do with the heart of man merely descriptive poetry is not very far removed from the work of the reporter and the photographer lacking the selective quality of creative art it is in reality little more than a representation of some of the raw materials of poetry it leaves the reader unmoved 
because little motion has gone to its making poetry of this sort at its best is to be found abundantly in thompson's seasons at less than its best it concerns no one nature becomes significant to man when she has passed through the alembic of his heart irrelevant and confusing details have been purged away what remains is single and vital it acts either by interpreting recalling suggesting or symbolizing some phase of human feeling out of the fusing heat born of this contact comes the perfect line luminous unforgettable with something of mystery in its beauty that eludes analysis whatever it be that is brought to the alembic naked hill or barren sand reach sea or meadow weed or star it comes out charged with a new force imperishable and active wherever it finds sympathies to vibrate under its currents in the imperishable verse of ancient greece and rome nature poetry of the higher class is generally supposed to play but a small part in reality it is nearly always present nearly always active in that verse but it appears in such a disguise that its origin is apt to be overlooked the greeks and the romans of course following their pattern personified the phenomena of nature till these for all purposes of art became human the greeks made their anthropomorphic gods of the forces of nature which compelled their adoration of these personifications they sang as of men of like passions with themselves but in truth it was of external nature that they made their songs bion's wailing lament for adonis human as it is throughout is in its final analysis a poem of nature by an intense but perhaps unconscious subjective process the ancients supplied external nature with their own moods impulses and passions the transitions from the ancient to the modern fashion of looking at nature are to be found principally in the work of the celtic bards who rather than the cloistered students of that time kept alive the true fire of poetry through the long darkness of the middle ages the modern attitude toward nature as distinguished from that of the greeks begins to show itself clearly in english song very soon after the great revivifying movement which we call the renaissance at first it is a very simple matter indeed men sing of nature because nature is impressing them directly a joyous season calls forth a joyous song summa isi kumenin lude sing cuckoo groweth seed and bloweth mead and springs the wood anew this is the poet's answering hail when the springtime calls to his blood with the fall of the leaf his singing has a sombre and foreboding note and winter in the world makes winter in his song this is nature poetry in its simplest form the form which it chiefly took with the spontaneous elizabethans but it soon became more complex as life and society became entangled in more complex conditions the artificialities of the queen anne period delayed this evolution but with gray and collins we see it fairly in process man looking upon external nature projects himself into her workings his own wrath he apprehends in the violence of the storm his own joy in the loveliness of opening blossoms 
his own mirth in the light waves running in the sun his own gloom in the heaviness of the rain and wind in all nature he finds but phenomena of himself she becomes but an expression of his hopes his fears his cravings his despair this intense subjectivity is peculiarly characteristic of the nature poetry produced by byron and his school when that titan of modern song apostrophizes the storm thundering over jura he speaks to the tumult in the deeps of his own soul when he addresses the stainless tranquillities of clear placid le mans what moves him to utterance is the contemplation of such a calm as his vexed spirit often craved when man's heart and the heart of nature had become thus closely involved the relationship between them and consequently the manner of its expression in song became complex almost beyond the possibilities of analysis wordsworth's best poetry is to be found in the utterances of the high priest in nature's temple interpreting the mysteries the function of the lines composed a few miles above tintern abbey is to convey to a restless age troubled with small cares seen in too close perspective the large contemplative wisdom which seemed to wordsworth the message of the scene which moved him keats his soul aflame with the worship of beauty was impassioned toward the manifestations of beauty in the world about him and at the same time he used these freely as symbols to express other aspects of the same compelling spirit shelley the most complex of the group sometimes combined all these methods as in the ode to the west wind but he added a new note which was yet an echo of the oldest the note of nature worship he saw continually in nature the godhead which he sought and adored youthful protestations and affectations of atheism to the contrary notwithstanding most of shelley's nature poetry carries a rich vein of pantheism allied to that which colors the oldest verse of time and particularly characterizes ancient celtic song with this significant and stimulating revival goes a revival of that strong sense of kinship of the oneness of earth and man which the greeks and latins felt so keenly at times which omar knew and uttered and which underlies so much of the verse of these later days that other unity the unity of man and god which forms so inevitable a corollary to the pantheistic proposition comes to be dwelt upon more and more insistently throughout the nature poetry of the last fifty years the main purpose of these brief suggestions is to call attention to the fact that nature poetry is not mere description of landscape in metrical form but the expression of one or another of many vital relationships between external nature and the deep heart of man it may touch the subtlest chords of human emotion and human imagination not less masterfully than the verse which sets out to be a direct transcript from life the most inaccessible truths are apt to be reached by indirection the divinest mysteries of beauty are not possessed exclusively by the eye that loves or by the lips of a child but are also manifested in some bird song's unforgotten cadence some flower whose perfection pierces the heart some ineffable hue of sunset or sunrise that makes the spirit cry out for it knows not what and whosoever follows the inexplicable lure of beauty in colour form sound perfume or any other manifestation 
reaching out to it as perhaps a message from some unfathomable past or a premonition of the future knows that the mystic signal beckons nowhere more imperiously than from the heights of nature poetry charles g d roberts end of the poetry of nature by charles george douglas roberts